Well, here we go. Our text today, two little verses, two, two little sections of Scripture. First comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to destruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And then we flip over to the book of Philippians, chapter 2, starting in verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the death, even death on the cross." Both these verses talk about the mind of Christ. And I've never really thought about this phrase before, except that Paul multiple times says that we now have the mind of Christ. As far as I can tell, very little has ever been written or spoken about the mind of Christ. In fact, I was reading a book called Jesus of Theography by Len Sweet and Frank Viola. And that was the first time I really stopped to think, well, what is the mind of Christ like? Thank you, Rick. It's okay. What is the mind of Christ really like? What did Christ think? And when I look at the life of Christ, what I see is that I don't think he used his mind the way we use our mind. Jesus told a lot of stories. He went to a lot of parties. He had people around him all the time. He was attracting a lot of people that were sinners, that were not in the main. Jesus seems to me to be very playful. He uses puns in his teaching. He uses pictures in his teaching. In fact, another book by Leonard Sweet that I read just recently called The Well-Played Life talked about how as Christians, we ought to be more playful. We ought to be more fun. And we ought to be more joyful. That when we look at Christ, we see this playful, joyful mind. That he's creative and he's constantly looking at the world around him and imagining a different kingdom. Len Sweet in that book says, you know, you don't work a piano. You play a piano. And I think the Christian faith is like that. I don't think it can be worked. I think it has to be played. I think it has to be experimented with. I've been thinking about this also as I've been reading some of this other stuff, looking at my own children. My children are, are kids, and they do random stuff. My wife and I were riding in the car the other day, and little Eden was in the back, and she had her hands kind of like this. And she was going back and forth with her hands like this. And she was making a sound going, do, 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 do. Four minutes, my, my little daughter did this. We got a little worried. My wife turned to me and said, can you imagine if as an adult we did the same stuff that our kids did? Imagine pulling up next to me at a red light and I'm stopped going, do, 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 do. Kids are so playful, right? 
It's how they learn to walk. They just keep trying and trying and trying. But I've noticed with my older kids that they're already starting to learn not to look foolish. They're already starting to learn not to show emotion, to be much more logical, to be much more thinking. I don't think this is the way Christians ought to be. I think we ought to be joyful. I think we ought to be playful. It's like we've, we've cornered our faith in the left hemisphere of our brain. Like that's the only part of our brain that our faith really relates to. Do you understand what I mean by left hemisphere? Today I want to actually show you the left hemisphere. I actually have a brain this morning. Not just my own brain. I actually have a cow brain with me today. Um, I could not get a human brain without a lot of illegal activity. So I just have to show you a cow brain. Um, surprisingly, it was not that hard to get. It was a quick trip to Kemp's and then a phone call when I had one. Uh, so if you are a little bit squeamish, this may not be a sermon you want to watch a lot. You may want to just take notes. Also, on the screen, uh, whoever has the clicker, i got a picture. So if you want the diagram instead of the, uh, you're not going to be able to see it yet. Instead of the actual brain, then uh, here we go. I've got gloves. Cow brain is generally the shape of a human brain. And until recently, we did not know a lot about the brain. It's just been recent times that we've had MRI machines. We've had uh, tumors and seizures and surgeries on the brain where we're starting to see how the brain works. And one of the things I think is really fascinating is that when we look at what science is telling us about the brain, we're finding, actually, it seems pretty biblical. I'm having more trouble with the gloves than I do the brain. It's actually pretty biblical. So this is a cow brain. Everybody ready for this? Okay, you may want to avert if you're a little squeamish. Okay? So this is a cow brain. Okay? Your brain is larger than this. In fact, your brain is about the size of a coconut. So figure about twice this size. Um, it's similar shape. Your brain uh, weighs a lot more than this brain. Your, this brain is probably about a third the size of your brain. And I will say, this is mainly just the top portion of the brain um, right here. Okay, so Dr. Carl, who is the president of Pittsburgh Seminary, does lectures on the brain. He describes it this way. Your brain is roughly the shape of a walnut, the size of a coconut, generally the consistency of chilled butter. I will tell you that a cow brain is a little more soupy than that. Okay? Generally the color of uncooked liver. So a cow brain is a little bit different color than actually what your brain is. So this is sort of the front portion. You can see really clearly the two hemispheres, the two sides. And so this is the back. So if I shape, face this way, you can see how the brain would be oriented in your head. And in your brain, there are billions of little neurons bouncing around right now, little connections to different parts of the brain. And now, because of modern images, we're starting to learn a lot more about how this brain works. In the Old Testament, when they talked about your personality, when they talked about your spirit, when they talked about who you were, they often talked about your gut. They talked about when you make decisions based on your gut. Don't we even follow that same? We say that today. Follow your gut. Somewhere along the line, we began to associate our spirit with our heart. I have no idea where that came out of. But now we know enough about the heart to know that's just a metaphor. We actually know that a lot about your personality, a lot about what we would call your spirit, is actually in your brain. 
And uh, in fact, the dichotomy that we tend to have where our spirit and our body are separate, like our spirit just inhabits this shell, doesn't really work in the Bible, and it really doesn't work according to brain science, because they can track your personality. They can track some of what we would say are spiritual things through where your brain activity comes from. Okay, so I want to, let's, let's try to talk about how the brain works. Okay, I'm going to try to turn it sideways here. Okay, broadly speaking, you have actually kind of three brains. One is a reptile brain, and it is your brain stem. It would come up this way, okay, and it would attach to your spinal cord, okay, and, and it's basically the, the equivalent of a reptile brain. That's why we sometimes call it a reptilian brain. So think of a lizard, think of a snake, think of a turtle, okay? Lizards do not have a lot of personality, right? A little bit, but it varies mainly species to species. So when, when we have a lizard, what's a lizard doing? Just surviving. Heart keeps beating, they stay hungry, they keep moving. That's lower brain function, that's your reptilian brain. The next part of your brain, it kind of moves up and sort of towards the back of your brain, is what would be called the mammalian brain. And that's the brain, part of the brain we share with, with animals, with mammals. So if you think about um, your dog, your dog is, has much more personality than a lizard does, than a turtle does. Your dog can make decisions, your dog can learn certain things. Reptiles are really pretty limited in how they can learn. But the, mammals can make basic decisions, but they can't plan. Dogs can't plan out a lot of stuff. Cats can't really think things through. They're still basically reacting. The third part of your brain is really your humor, human brain, your neocortex, and that's the front part. And that's mainly what I'm holding in my hand, actually, the neocortex, the part that makes you be able to think, to be logic, to, logical, to plan, to be rational. Dogs can't be rational. When they got to go to the bathroom, they got to go to the bathroom. They can learn where, but they can't be real logical about planning and thinking ahead. Okay? Everybody doing okay? All right. I told you this is my weirdest idea ever. Okay? So let's talk about the different parts of the brain. Coming from the bottom would be your brain stem. Okay? That's the part that attaches to, this, to, the, um, to the brain and to the spinal column. It's the most simple brain, it's the reptile brain, it's the part that does basic function. Like your medulla oblongata is down there, it monitors, it, it keeps your heart beating, okay? It keeps uh, you breathing, some of those automatic reflexes, okay? Your pons is another part of the brainstem there. That has to do with arousal, in other words, being asleep, being awake, shutting the brain off, turning the brain on kind of thing. Also helps a little bit in movement, coordination. Your midbrain is really important. It'd be right about where my fingers are, right center in the middle of there. Um, it's, it regulates the body movement. It regulates uh, vision and hearing, sort of sends some of those things to the proper part of the brain. Right up in the middle of there is a lot of little stuff. Okay, We sometimes call it the limbic system. It's, it's the part of the brain that keeps things going. The thalamus is there. That's the very center of your brain on the bottom. Okay, it has attention span, sense of pain would go there. It's really the relay center. Okay, remember those old telephone operators that used to have to plug uh, cords into different places to get the message to the right place? That's really what your thalamus does. Your hypothalamus is there also. That's mood, thirst, hunger, keeps your temperature in the body, um, does a lot of stuff that should be automatic for you. Okay. Also in there is your pituitary gland. That keeps your chemicals right in your brain and even influences a lot of the chemicals in the rest of your body. Sidebar here. Okay, there is this stigma in our country today 
and especially among Christians, I think, about counseling and about psychological drugs. But sometimes, really honestly, your brain gets out of chemistry and you need help to get it back. And if you ever are in that place, get the help you need. Okay? We wouldn't, as Christians, say, well, I don't need to, to fix a cut that's bleeding all over the place. No, you get the help you need to fix a cut. If your brain gets out of whack, if you get depressed, if you get anxious really bad, get the help you need, because sometimes you really do need medical help to adjust the chemicals in your brain. It can make a big difference. Okay, also in there is the hippocampus. That's really the learning and memory. It makes permanent memories. Also remember spatial. Your hippocampus is really important when you leave here today so that you remember how to drive home. In fact, in studies, the largest hippocampus, the best hippocampus they've ever found, is among London cab drivers who have to learn the whole city and learn all the mileage, learn all the best routes and alternate routes. They end up having a very large, this part of the brain, the hippocampus, because that's what it does. On the back of your brain, there's sort of a ball here. Okay, it's not in this specimen, but if you put your hand on the back of your neck, uh, right below your skull, you're gonna, there's a little ball back in there, uh, and that's called your cerebellum. Um, or the, yeah, and it's for balanced posture, coordinating your movements. Do you know walking is actually a really complicated movement? Walking physically is mainly a series of falls and catching yourselves. And so to coordinate walking requires a lot out of your cerebellum. The main part of the brain here is the cerebrum or the cerebral cortex. Okay, that's the part you see, the parts I'm holding. The bumps that are on the top, did you know that actually all these bumps are different brain to brain? Kind of like a fingerprint. They don't all look the same. Um, the, the bulges on the top of these little squigglies are called a gyrus, and the little, little stuff in between is called the sulcus. And what it does is it increases the surface area of your brain. So with your particular brain, it would vary, right? Because they're all different. But we could stretch out the surface area of your brain. It would be somewhere between the size of a pillowcase and the size of like an open newspaper. Uh, isn't that kind of crazy? So by, by all these squiggles, it actually increases the surface area. It increases your brain capacity. Um, you'll notice that there's very distinctly two hemispheres of the brain. In fact, the brain just literally kind of falls apart down the middle because they don't really connect with each other. Your left hemisphere controls the right half of your body, and the right hemisphere controls the left. So if I looked right down the center aisle, I'm seeing you on this side, on the left half of my brain, and I'm seeing you on this side, on the right half of my brain. And when I point, I'm pointing with my right hand, but I use my left hemisphere to control that. It gets kind of goofy sometimes. This area of the brain has four lobes. Uh, on the very back of your head, there's like a kind of a bulge back here. That would be your occipital lobe. That's primarily your vision. So literally, when I see you all over here, the stimuli comes into my eye. It's translated to the left back of my brain. Okay? Um, kind of crazy to think about how they know all this stuff. The temporal, which is right above your ear, if you put your hand over your temple and along your brain, kind of this section here, that's really speech, behavior, memory, hearing, vision, even a lot of your emotions can be tracked right there. Okay, The top here, or the top of your head here, would be the parietal. That's your intelligence, your reason, your language. Um, right in the top are your motor and sensory. 
And really the frontal lobe is the cool part. It's the part that no other animal, no other creature on God's earth has the same way that we do. Okay? Uh, it's for movement, intelligence, planning, personality often comes from here, decisions and judgment, the kind of things that even advanced, you know, apes, monkeys, you think about the intelligence of dolphins and whales, they have nothing compared to the frontal lobe. Actually, our frontal lobe isn't really developed until we're about in our 20s somewhere, mid-20s. The only people that seem to understand this are car insurance companies. They're nice. We let our kids drive at 16, they can do all kinds of things, they can boat at 18, they can drink at 21, but car insurance companies understand that their brain is not really poorly functioned until they're late in their 20s, and that's when insurance goes down. Um, but anyway, so that's the frontal part of the lobe, uh, that is the most important, most human part of our brains. And again, this is literally kind of separate right down the middle. The only way that these two halves of the brain connect is what's, with what's called the corpus callosum, which is this sort of disc thing that goes along in the middle that connects these two. It relays messages and communicates between the right half and the left half of our brains. Um, there's two really important things that go on right down here. They're kind of like ball-bearing looking things called the amygdala. I've talked about the amygdala before. The amygdala is our brain's ability to handle stress. It's our fight or flight sort of reflex. Okay? Um, how many of you, if you've ever seen the, uh, like the National Geographic channel or something, and they'll show gazelles in a field, you know what I mean? And they're all eating, and then one thinks they hear something, and what do they do? Right? They look up suddenly and start looking around. And then what happens to the other gazelles? They do the same thing. They all of a sudden look up and they're aware and they're much more open to the stimuli around them because something is engaging them. What your amygdala does is it shuts down higher brain function. So we, this is why when you get stressed, you can't think straight. You ever been stressed and you can't find your keys and you stumble a lot? It's because your amygdala says, hey guys, there is an emergency in the area. We cannot be thinking and planning right now. We really need to just survive. Your brain it literally shuts off lower brain capacity. Like those gazelles. They're not thinking about eating anymore. What are they thinking about? Is there a lion in the area? And it's socially oriented. In other words, if you're around somebody else who's stressed, you get stressed too, right? It's also very memory oriented, which is an important survival skill. If I have a place that's not safe, I need to remember that place. Which is great if you're a gazelle. It's not great if you're at a family reunion. Okay? Because if everybody else is anxious, you can get in the habit of being anxious with them too. That's what your amygdala does. Which is helpful sometimes, but also means you can get into a habit of being totally stressed at work when you don't need to be stressed. Your brain is just trained to be stressed. And you literally can't think. You literally cannot think straight because your brain is not allowing higher brain function to work. By higher brain function, I mean not just better brain function. Literally, brain function that is higher in your brain, your amygdala will not go on. Okay, this is why if you've ever gone through a loss, it's really hard to remember what was said at the funeral. Your memory is just not working at that point. Everything sort of becomes a blur. This is your amygdala can be helpful, can be also not helpful. The other challenge with the amygdala is if, you, if it gets active, you end up seeing the thing that stressed you everywhere. 
How, anybody here afraid of mice? Anybody here afraid of snakes? Did you ever see one and then suddenly they're everywhere? You know what I mean? Like you see one mouse in your basement and suddenly every rock and every box and every little mark in the ground is a mouse. It, this is your amygdala. Okay? What it does is it heightens awareness so that you see stress more and you see other stimuli less. Okay? It's actually been proven, by the way, that prayer and meditation help your brain. Prayer and meditation are high brain functions. They're imaginative and they are also, uh, they are also very verbal, especially in Christian prayer. So literally when Jesus says, peace that passes understanding... He's talking about peace that goes beyond your logic, but also a peace that goes beyond... By peace, he means it goes beyond your amygdala. Scientifically, prayer is proven to help with stress. It helps you have higher brain function. Now, let me talk about the right and left hemisphere. There's a little bit of... How many of you have heard about right brain, left brain, right? Okay, that's a little bit of a myth. Your brain actually works together. Okay, you don't have like a right, you're not right brain or left brain. You have to be both. For you to do math, you have to have the math and logic of your left hemisphere, but you also have to have the creative and problem solving effort of your right. It has to be together. Okay, so um, in, in a brain, your left is your academic, your logic, your analytical, your concrete facts and rules. Your right is a little more creative, intuitive, feeling. What your left brain does is it wants structure. This is who I am. This is where my lines are. I want boundaries. I want rules. What your right brain really wants is creativity, is connection. If you want to understand this better, I recommend a a talk by Jill Bolt Taylor called Stroke of Insight. It's a TED Talk, so you can watch it for free online. She was a a neuroscientist who had a stroke. She had a hemorrhage in the brain. And so she got, as a neuroscientist, to watch her brain shut down from the inside out. And her left hemisphere was the thing that lost, that she was starting to lose. And she called it nirvana, because suddenly she was connected with the world. Everything logical, everything that separated her from everything else, started to fade away. She felt just connected with everybody. The problem was, she could not think logically enough to call 911 She could not think to be able to pick up the phone, to realize she was even in danger. This is why you need both halves of your brain. You can also go online and see studies done by Dr. Michael Gazaniga, I think I'm saying that right, on a man named Joe who, because of seizures, had to have his brain cut right down the middle to separate the electrical storms that was his epilepsy. And so when they did studies on him, they found that his right brain and his left brain, they, they, they can't communicate. So they would flash two words in front of him, right, real quick. And his left brain, being verbal, could remember what the word was. But his right brain, that saw the word on the left side, couldn't remember the word because words come from the left half of your brain. But, interestingly enough, he could draw a picture with his left hand of whatever the word was. So if he saw church on one side and he saw telephone on the other... He could remember if church was on the left. He could remember the word church. And then he could put a pen in his left hand and start drawing and eventually figure out that what he saw was telephone. Even though he couldn't make that connection in his head, he could make it on paper. See, there's two distinct halves to your brain. 
And I think we use the left hemisphere in the Christian faith way too much. We're way too individualistic. We're way too logical and analytical. Not that our faith isn't beliefs, isn't important truths, isn't logical. But when I look at the Bible, I see a lot more than just left brain teaching. The church has fallen in love with the Apostle Paul because he's logical, he's structured, he's ordered. But most of the Bible is written as what? Stories. Not rules and logic, but more emotional. More, more pictures. More images. When I think about the mind of Christ, I see this. I think Jesus was very whole-brained. Think about it. If Jesus was the perfect human being, then he must have used his brain perfectly. See, when Paul talks about the mind of Christ, he talks about it in terms of service and self-sacrifice. But you know what? Um, Self-sacrifice is not a logical thing. As Leonard Sweet says in his book, uh, Well-Played Life, you cannot left-brain a kiss. Think about a kiss. Is there anything logical about a kiss? Who was the first person that sat down and thought, I'm going to express my love to my wife? By putting my lips up against hers. It doesn't make any sense. It's not logical. Lots of things about the Christian faith don't fit exclusively on the left hemisphere of our brain. They just don't. Now, there's a push in our world today to be spiritual but not religious. But let me explain that in terms of brain. I want the right hemisphere. I want creativity. I want emotion. But I don't want the logic. And I don't want the structure. And to be honest, I don't think that fixes the problem. I think we need to be whole-brained. We need to be creative. Something like hope. A word like peace that passes understanding. Love. Grace. These are things that you have to logically try to wrap your mind around, but you also have to imagine them. And here's the really good news about your brain. Your brain has a lot of what's called plasticity. Particularly when you're a kid, your brain has the ability to change. Prayer can do this. Prayer can help stimulate the frontal lobe. There also have found, because of people with very extreme epileptic seizures that have had to have part of their brain removed. Like you can go online on the Today Show, the little girl named Cameron, who had to have her left hemisphere of her brain totally removed because of the violent seizures that she had. So therefore, she has no left hemisphere of her brain. She cannot move the right side of her body. She walked out of the hospital four weeks later. Her brain was able to compensate. Your brain can change. Now, the older you get, the harder that is. But your brain still has the ability to change. And I think as Christians, we ought to get more playful. That's why I wanted to do a weird sermon where I had a brain. Because I wanted you to remember to be a little creative. Be a little playful. Use your whole brain. Be a little bit emotional when we sing a song about joy. Maybe try a little bit of joy. You can't sing joy to the world on the left hemisphere of your brain and get the full effect. You've got to put some emotion, a little bit of creativity, a little bit of movement in there. Christians ought to be the most fun-filled, joyful, and creative people that the world has ever seen. We ought to have the mind of Christ. Actually, Paul goes so far as to say we do have the mind of Christ. Perhaps we ought to live more like that. Let us pray. Father God, I thank you for the beauty of how you made us. You made us creative. 
you made us whole and you gave us Jesus as the example of what true humanity was supposed to look like. Help us to live more that way. Help us to be more whole-brained. Help us to be more playful. Help us to be emotional, but emotional in the right way. Let us not be controlled by our amygdala. Let us not be controlled by our logic, but let us be controlled by you. Dwell in our hearts, but more importantly today, dwell in our minds, we pray. Amen.